This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Guys, what is, what is the main purpose of us in this world and what can we do to maximize our efforts? What can we do to maximize our efforts? And there's a very, very important Mishnah that we say every single morning. Part of our prayers after the morning blessings, one of the prayers after the morning blessings, it's not a prayer, it's a Mishnah. And it's a Mishnah from a very esoteric place. That is uh, a Mishnah in Peah. Now, Peah means the corner of the field. One of the mitzvot in the Torah is leave a piece of the corner of your field, the Mishnah says, at the back of the field, before you finish harvesting, leave it for the poor people. And let them come and harvest it themselves and take it themselves. So it's a very esoteric kind of, of Mishnah, which doesn't apply unless you're a farmer, and in Israel, and if there's poor people around, because most people don't go to, poor people don't go to fields anymore. Uh, they'd rather get the finished product. <clears throat> they'd only go to the field and harvest the leftover. So from the Torah, there's no maximum, there's no minimum, right? One stalk is enough for the whole field. The rabbi said 160. The rabbi said give 160. But the rest of the Mishnah is what I'm going to talk about today. It's a very, very important Mishnah. And uh, we learn a lot of uh, good stuff from this Mishnah. So let's go through this Mishnah. So this Mishnah is, as I said, it's at the beginning of the second Peah, chapter one, Mishnah one of the second Peah. And Peah is in the Seder Zrain. It's in the Seder of the Mishnah, one Seder, the first Seder of the Mishnah, discusses the laws of agriculture. And we all know the laws of Brachot are right at the beginning of that. So everyone knows. The Mesechet Brachot is right at the beginning of Israel, but people don't normally learn the rest of the, of the Mesechet. Why? Because it's just, uh, unless you're a farmer in Israel, it doesn't really apply to you, unless you have a garden in Israel. So we said Peah. So what is Peah? So Peah, we said, so these things, the Mishnah says, have no quantities. There's no quantity for minimum, and there's no quantity for maximum. But, okay, I'm going to skip that part of the Mishnah because it doesn't really <coughs> talk, to, talk much to us, but we're talking about the next part of the Mishnah. Okay. Now we come to a very, very important part of the Mishnah, which is said, as I said, every single day, every morning in the synagogue, in the, in the prayer book, if you read the prayer book, every morning, the Siddur, it's right there. And there's slight differences between Sephardi, Mashkenazim, and the Mishnah itself. So there's very, there are slight differences, and we'll have to talk about that as well. So what, are the, what is the part of the Mishnah I'm going to talk about? And that is the second part of the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, These are the things. That a person eats their fruits. What does that mean? He eats the interest payments of his mitzvah. So we have what's called the interest, and we have the karen. The karen is the principal amount of the, of the reward. So there's two parts of the reward. There's principal and there's interest. Oh, that's great. I mean, looking forward to something. You know, you can save up for your real retirement and build People don't realize the real retirement is not in this world. The real retirement is the next world. Yeah, of course, person's going to retire in this world. Hopefully, there's a shame. Because we'll have enough to retire on. It's getting, uh, you have to save even more now. Inflation, everything. But anyway, we should have also a retirement in the next world. And we are not uh, Egyptians of old, the pyramids. I think we can take stuff with us. A person cannot take anything with them. A person cannot take anything physical with them. So you're building pyramids and stuffing in the pyramid all your wealth and your servants, and your cats, and your canoes, and what else they stuffed in the, in the pyramid, a person can't take anything physical with them. You know, there's a beautiful story in there. It was in the New York Times. There's a woman, very wealthy woman, obviously, and she wanted to be buried in her red Lamborghini. That was her last will and testament. She wants to be buried in her red Lamborghini. Now, I don't know what she's going to do with the red Lamborghini, 
um, in the grave. So there's nothing you can do with it. It's probably going to rust or some grave robber will come along and pull it out. Okay. So uh, there's nothing we can take with us. What can we take with us? We can take with us. That's what the mission is talking about. We can take with us. These are the important things we can take with us. What are the important things we can take with us? Mishnah's going to list. These are things that we eat, the fruits. In this world, we have interest payments in this world, but the main part of the mitzvah, the main part of the reward is in the next world. The main part, the major part of the reward. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want that major part of the reward. I don't want to use it all up in this world. So we have fruits. So there's interest payments in this world, but yes, the best of both worlds. We get interest payments in this world, and we get the main reward in the next world. So what the mission is telling us is they're a very, very important mitzvah. They're big-time mitzvah which really give you a massive payback. It gives you a payback in this world, it gives you a payback in the next world. So let's go through some of these mitzvot. So if you want to spend your time purposefully and you want to spend your time worth, worthwhile, this is the best, these are the best mitzvot to pick up. And let's, let's, let's go through some of these mitzvot. So that's what the Mishnah is telling us. You want a mitzvah that will pay you dividends in this world and the, the, the principal will be in the next world. These are the mitzvot to do. These are mitzvot to run after. Obviously, all the mitzvot are important. But if you want to spend time now, some of these mitzvot are very, very big mitzvot. Let's, let's go through. That's what the Mishnah is pointing to. Mishnah says, if you have an opportunity, pick these big ones. Pick the big ones. The, you get the most bang for your buck. If you pick these big ones, you get the most bang for your buck. You have this world and you have the next world as well. So let's go through them. Number one. Kibbut Abba'in. Honoring one's parents now. You know, um, I don't know about you, but I lost my, both my parents. But how do I honor my parents? Number one is, if you keep their memory alive by doing things they would like you to do. And when you do them, you say, I'm doing it to honor my parents. Obviously, I'm doing it for Hashem, but I'm also doing it for my physical parents. They should also get a merit. Every time a person gives tzedakah, there should be a merit for my parents as well. A person says, obviously, on the outside, it's a kaddish, like a candle. Obviously, it's the memory of one's parents. And going to the gravesite, you know, on the yard site, that's honoring one's parents. So it's important to honor one's parents. That is a tremendous mitzvah. It's such a, it's a hard mitzvah. It's a very hard mitzvah. Believe me. Um, it's a tremendously hard mitzvah to do, to honor one's parents properly. I mean, it's very easy. Lip service to give lip service to one's parents. What is honoring one's parents? Doing whatever they want. Whatever they want. Whatever they need. Whatever, whatever they want that will make them happy. That's considered honoring. Okay, so they like you to come and visit them. It's a mitzvah, tremendous mitzvah, bothering one's parents. But if they pass away, just keep their memory alive by doing the things they taught you, doing the mitzvah that they taught you themselves. You're keeping their memory alive, following in their path that they uh, walked in. And that's a tremendous mitzvah, honoring parents. So honoring parents, we have to honor our parents. Honoring parents, tremendous reward. Eat the payments in this world, and you have the main part of the world is in the next world. And where do we learn from? It's the Torah. The Torah says so itself. The Torah says, and it's one of the few mitzvot in the Torah where it tells you what the reward is going to be. You'll have long life in the land, I promise you. You'll have long life. So let's go through them one by one. Okay? So a person's going to have their fruits in this world, interest payments. And uh, so a person will have benefit. They have benefits from just doing these things. One of the benefits honoring parents is it's a cycle in life. If you honor your parents and your, if your children see you honoring your parents, most likely they will honor you. Most likely. Most cases they do because why are they picking up? You honor your parents and say, wow, my father, my mother. Their parents are so important to them. They really look after their parents. So 
when they grow old, I'm going to do the same thing for them because they deserve it. You know, that they're setting me a, a role model. They're role modeling for me how to honor parents. So that's a very simple way of getting things back. And it get, comes back to a person. So it's a boomerang effect, right? The boomerang effect. Whatever we do in this world comes back to us. We treat our parents with honor. Our children will treat us, their tradition, with honor as well. Okay, but that's not the main reason for doing it. It's a main mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to honor parents. It's a mitzvah for God. And those will have fruits from that mitzvah. Some of these fruits are tangible. Some fruits are not tangible. And the main part will be in the next world. So uh, it's interesting. We find there's a beautiful uh, statement the Midrash says about Moshe Rabbeinu. Whatever honor Moshe Rabbeinu got in this world, it's just the fruits. And Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest leader we ever had, uh, 40 years in the desert, how much honor people gave him. Every time he walked in, they would stand up for him and listen to him most of the time. I'm not talking about the bad times uh, where they would complain and, and moan and cause them troubles. But most of the time, 40 years in the desert was a long time. Most of the time, they behaved themselves. He got tremendous honor in this world from God. God spoke to him. Uh, you could get prophecy and face-to-face, whatever that means. He had the closest relationship with God. He had the closest relationship with people. Nearly the closest. But uh, he, was, he had tremendous honor in this world. And the Midrash says the main part of his honor is in the next world. He's going to have tremendous. If he had honor in this world, he's going to get tremendous honor in the world to come. <clears throat> so keep it up, eh? The Torah says, Kabet Honor your father and your mother. Leman yerichun yamecha. So that you will have long life and it'll be good for you. So you see, it says two things. You'll have long life. The rabbis say, it's never long enough. Life is never long enough. It must be talking about the world to come. It must be talking about the world to come. So long life is talking about the world to come. And it'll be good for you. Where's it going to be good for you? Right here in the here and now. Person honors their parents. It's going to be good for them in this world. And it's going to have long life in the next world. Immortality. We all want immortality. Who doesn't want immortality? We all want immortality. So one of the keys to immortality is honoring one's parents. What does that mean? We talked about last week, hakaratatov, gratitude, what they did for us. If they did anything for us, the minimum they did was bring us into this world, and that we're going to be grateful for. So even if they, you don't like your parents, you had a hard time with your parents, parents were abusers, whatever it is, a person's got to give them some credit. They brought us into this world, and hopefully we will make things better. We will do a better job than they did. And we'll give them credit. We'll be an honor to them. Okay, so that's Kibbut Avayim. And uh, Rashi says, You have long life, as he mentioned. Rashi says it explicitly on the Pasuk. Long life is in the next world, not in this world. But it'll be good for you. Rashi says, in your life over here. Now, people don't really pay attention. We, we always talk about, um, when a person sneezes, we say, Chayim Tovim. Chayim Arukim, you know, Chayim is in the plural. People don't realize the word Chayim is high, doubled. Why? Because we're living in two planes. We're living in this world, we're going to live in the next world. We're living in two dimensions. But it's rather shame. No rush, you know, there's no rush. Like, uh, you know, we're not in a rush to get there. But this is the means to the end. We're in the corridor before the main. Uh, the next thing to pay attention to, and this is a very important facet of our lives, is Chesed. Kimilut chasadim, acts of kindness. If a person can do acts of kindness, they've got to realize you put a, put a coin in the pushka, you put a, uh, give help a person, and they ask you, where, how do I get to some some place? And you stop and you tell them how to go. Or if you tell them, I don't know, it's better than saying, you know, give them a wrong way. So you can look it up for them today. It's very easy. And that's also, that's chesed. 
There's different kinds of chesed. Even smiling at someone is a chesed. So just smiling, making someone happy, making someone's day. Um, and this is usually, you know, a lot of women do this. They, they cook for their husbands, they clean the house, all chesed, act of kindness. Changing a child's diaper, you can't get more kindness than that, right? So all these things are acts of kindness. We don't appreciate acts of kindness because acts of kindness is not something that people think, ah, oh, I did something big today. But this Mishnah is telling us it's big. Acts of kindness is really big. We have to really stick it into our heads. Acts of kindness uh, is something really great. And that's what the Mishnah says. You eat the fruits in this world. You do kindness to people, you know what's going to happen? There's a book, The Chesed Boomerang. One of my good friends uh, wrote this book. And Jackie Dweck, you can get it probably in the stores, I don't know, Feldheim or some one of the big publishers. They call The Chesed Boomerang. And uh, you do acts of kindness, and they come back to you suddenly. Somehow they come back to you. So it gives a, it gives a true story. He says, he was once in Manhattan, you know, the big machines over there, you know, you pay, you got to put the, 20, the quarters in the good old days, put the quarters in the machine to park your car. And he sees this parking attendant coming around giving tickets. And all of a sudden he recognizes his friend's car over there. And yep, sure enough, time's up on the, on the meter. And he goes to the meter and he puts in money. His friend doesn't know. He put the money in first. And he saves his friend from a big ticket, right? A parking ticket. And then one day, in the old days, you know, they had toll keepers on the Barazana Bridge. He's on the Barazana Bridge, and he has to pay the toll. And he looks at his pockets, can't find a penny. He can't find a penny in his pocket to pay the tolls. And those there, he was cash. <clears throat> and what happens is he goes up to the toll. He's stuck. That's how the car is. So I was telling the toll keeper, um, and then behind him, the guy's honking and he gives him five dollars. The guy behind him gives him five dollars, he said, Pay the tolls. And he looks at the guy and he says, That's the guy I put the money in the slot for. That was the guy I saved from the parking ticket, and it came back to me. The chesed I did for him comes back to me. Chesed improves this world not just for ourselves, for others. And you know what? If you improve the world for others, there'll be a better place for you as well. So you have to realize that. The Torah says, Mishle. Solomon says, Run after charity and run after kindness. And a person who runs after charity, runs after kindness, will find life, charity, and kavod honor. So it will come back to you. You'll find more than what you paid. What more, than, more than what you did will come back to you. You'll get tremendous honor in this world. You'll get righteousness in this world. People owe you favors, they'll do things for you, they'll recognize you because you help them in times of trouble, they'll help you as well. So tremendous, we have to realize, we think, don't brush off acts of kindness. Acts of kindness are tremendous vehicles to spiritual growth and also for reward. You want a reward in this world, you want a reward in the next world, acts of kindness. So number one, we said honoring parents, if you can. Number two, acts of kindness. And we're going to talk more about that later. Okay, number three. Making peace between people. And this is something which Aaron Cohen was known for. Aaron Cohen, the brother of Moshe, was known to make peace between people. He was, the Mishnah says, always be like the students of Aaron. We should all be like the students of Aaron. We should all emulate Aaron. Ohev Shalom, love peace. Rodef Shalom, run after peace. Ohev love people. Karavan la Torah, bring them close to the Torah study. So a very important idea. 
peace, peace, making peace in the world. There's so much fighting in this world. There's fighting in, between brothers in Israel, between relatives, between cousins, between brothers. It's, it's terrible. Let's try and make peace between spouses. 50% of marriages and a divorce. There's fighting, there's fighting and fighting. So let's be the ones to be the Gadol HaShalom. A Gadol HaShalom is a person who doesn't just say hello when someone replies, when someone, uh, he replies when someone says hello. They initiate. A person who initiates peace. Be the one to forgive and forget. Be the one who's always gun out for peace. Make peace in the world. Make peace in communities. Just by talking to people, being sweet to people, try and make peace. Especially people are fighting. You be the one to make peace. So very, very important. Making peace in the world. Again, this is something which is people don't think how big it is. Making peace in the world. Every little piece of peace we can make. You know, pardon the pun. Piece of peace. You can, every bit of peace you make is worthwhile. It's a little, it adds up after a while. If everyone's making peace. There's so much. There's wars, there's killing, there's murder, there's violence. Let's try and make peace. Whatever we can do to make peace in our own families. You know, in the microcosm, and then slowly in the community, and then slowly in the microcosm. Whatever we can do, it's very hard to do this. Uh, but listen, every class about peace is important. Every time we talk about peace, every time we we ourselves are the role models for peace, people will learn from being role models. And this guy, you know, who are the people you like the most? The people who come to shul, they come quietly, they don't make a fuss, they don't make disturbances, they're peaceful, they're smiling, they're happy, they're cheerful. That's what peace is. Peace is being around people that you like. Peace. And if it wasn't makes peace in the world, so that's the, the fruits of the peace. The interest payments of the peace is you won't be bothered by fighting and other people making trouble because he's a man of peace or a woman of peace. People know this person is a person of peace and they don't make trouble and they're going to leave them alone. They're going to make peace with them as well. They like people like that. So making peace between people, we have to run after, we have to chase after this. Rodef Sedaqava says, run after. One of the things we've got to chase after is making peace. So if you know people who are fighting, try your best to make peace. I know it's very, very hard. These are, these are very, but at least we can do make peace with our own spouse, make peace with our own children, make peace with our own parents, make peace with our own siblings, make peace. Be the one to give and uh, make the peace. Search for peace and Make peace. And then the Mishnah says, and again, this is what we're doing right now. Talmud Torah. Learning Torah. So important. Learning Torah is a value that not everyone appreciates. Learning Torah. People don't appreciate learning Torah. Talmud Torah. Talmud Torah is equivalent to everything else. Why is Talmud Torah so important? So number one is the Vodagon. Famous Vodagon. Vodagon says, Talmud Torah. Talmud Torah is corresponding to 613 mitzvot. What does that mean? Every word of Torah you study is 613 mitzvot. If you have a thousand words on the page, that's 613,000 mitzvot right there. Boom. If you listen to a class, one hour, I don't know how many words are spoken. Lots of words are spoken. You get this tremendous mitzvah. And you get payments in this world. You get interest payments in this world, and you get payments in the next world. What interest payments do you get? When you learn Torah, what happens? And the answer is, it makes you calmer, hopefully. It makes a person calmer. It gives them some wisdom. And it makes, it makes the important things in life important. Not the, not the garbage that we're surrounded with. We're surrounded with garbage all the time. 
So the Torah gives us values. The Torah tells us what's important in life. The Torah hopefully is making our lives better. It's telling us to make peace, do kindness, do acts of kindness. And we have to talk about that. So it's a very important value. Learning Torah is, it's the theory that leads to practice, Ramam says. It's the Torah that leads us to be good people, hopefully. We have people who are learned Torah and are bad and nasty. And that's, that's a disgrace. That's, that's called a gold ring in the nose of a pig. That's what the Gemara says. The person learns Torah, it's a gold ring. But if the person doing the wrong thing, it's the nose of a pig. So we have to learn Torah and make the, help, make the Torah help us be better people. That's the key. If it doesn't make us be better, you know, nothing else says amazing things. The Torah is like water. If you have weeds inside, the Torah will make your weeds bigger. It's amazing, Vilnagon. Uh, so if your midot are bad in the first place, it's going to make your midot worse. It's going to teach you all the tricks. It's going to make you smart and make you tricky. We see people like that. They're smart, they learn Torah, and it makes them trickier. It makes them more crooked. And it makes them nasty human beings. That's terrible. Why? Because what's inside their hearts are weeds. So Vilnagon uh, says, number one is cure your traits. The traits of the person, the Torah just feeds the traits that are already there. It's very hard to change the traits. Hardest thing in life is to change one's traits. You know, we, have, we have these in, inborn traits. It's so hard to change one's traits, not to get angry. How many people can control their anger? Okay, it's very easy. No one's bugging you. No one's bothering you. But when people are needing you and bothering you and, and uh, blaming you, how, how, how can you keep your cool? If you find out, please let me know. <laughs> so it's very important to learn how to control one's temper to control one's desires these are things the Torah should teach but a person got to, if they don't they have to internalize it that's the key, if we don't internalize it if we don't uproot the roots of the problems we're not going anywhere, now it's interesting because there's a famous Mishnah where these notes here, I don't have to say by heart I'll try and say it by heart, I hope I remember everything so there's a famous Mishnah. There's a Mishnah at the beginning of Bava Kama. Now, Bava Kama is one of the heftier Mesechtot, which is learned in Yeshiva. It's usually little kids who start learning Gemara. They, they really cut their teeth on this Mesechet. So, that's right. Torture to teach a kid Bava Kama. Why? It's all about damages. about oxes goring and this goring. So it starts off with the four kinds of damages. What are the four kinds of damages? And that's, listen, this is a big debate. What are the four kinds of damages? A Mishnah, there's Talmud. I'm just giving you one leg. I'll give you the Torah in one leg. What does the Mishnah talk about? It's the four kinds of damages. What are the four kinds of damage? Habor, Esh, Habe'er, Amamavim. Right? Uh, and so there's four kinds of damages. Uh, so there's uh, the pit. There's a pit. So the Rashash, one of the big Kabbalists, he says, this is a symbol, the pit. You know, people can fall in a pit, so it damages people. And the person who digs the pit in the public domain is liable for damages. So he says a pit is depression. One of the worst midot is a pit. What is the worst midah you have? Depression. A person who's depressed will do all sorts of things in depression. It's important. That's a kind of damage, right? The second one, he says, is fire. What's fire? The fire of desire. That's one of the, one of the, one of the big damages to our soul fire of desire. So we got to learn how to control the fire of desire. Number three is mavet, which is what is considered is the animal eating. When they eat, they go down the street in those days. Usually they're unmuzzled and they eat stuff. And that's the kind of damage. They said the damage is with our mouths. 
We do damage by talking sometimes. So shtika, those are going to learn how to be quiet. And this is one of the principles in Pirkei Avot tells us, I didn't find uh, anything better for the body than, than silence, right? So we have these different kinds of damages, but they're really talking about, there's another idea to them. There's another side to talking about the midot, the worst midot, a person. That's a kind of damage as well. So the Torah is teaching us how to control ourselves. And we have to ingest this. We have to imbibe this. <coughs> we have to internalize this. If we don't internalize it, it just, just water off the, off the bridge. It just flows over us and we don't become better people. So it's very, very, these are critical. Okay. So all these things are mentioned. Let's just recap. Number one is honoring parents. Number two is uh, acts of kindness. Number three is making peace between a man and his friend. And number four is Talmud Torah Kaneged Kulam. So these four things that Mishnah says. And then we're going to see how the Talmud adds to these things. I just want to tell you what the Talmud says. Okay. Amar Rabbi Huda. This is the Talmud in Shabbat. And Rabbi Huda Barshila says, in the name of Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yochanan. Now, Rabbi Yochanan was one of the last big sages we had in the time of the Mishnah. He's one of the last Tanaim, people who authored the Mishnah. He's probably one of the first of the Amorai. He's, he's like the, the, the uh, go-between. Uh, he's the go-between between the original big rabbis who wrote the Mishnah and the rabbis who wrote the Talmud. He's one of the great rabbis who wrote uh, the Jerusalem Talmud. So Rabbi Yochanan, very famous. Rabbi Yochanan says, he adds a few things. Let's see what Rabbi Yochan says. These things, the person eats the fruits in, the ne- in this world, and the main thing is in the next world. And these are the ones. Now, he has a slightly different list. Number one, he adds to our list. He says, having guests in your house. Now, it's very easy to invite guests, right? You just invite someone for Shabbat, for dinner, for lunch. But make, try and make sure that these are people who don't have a place to go. Because having guests that you know who have places to go is not really doing a mitzvah of chesed. They can eat in their own house. They don't have to come to your house to eat. But having singles over, where they have no company. People have no company. People are traveling through town. They have no one to go to. That's an act of kindness. That's, that is the true haknasat orkim we're talking about. Haknasat orkim is a tri- true act of kindness. He mentions six things. Number one is haknasat orkim. Number two, he adds... Visiting the sick. Visiting the sick is a tremendous mitzvah. You visit the sick and you get benefits in this world. You get benefits in the next world. And we're going to talk about that. And number three, he says, is praying properly. We don't understand the power of our prayers. person has to focus on praying properly. Now, why is that? Give us benefits in this world and the next world. Because you pray for this world. Pray for things in this world. We're going to see they come true. Hashem grants our wishes. You pray for something over and over again. If you don't get it the first time, you get it the second time. You don't get it the second time, you get it the third time. Hashem eventually will answer the prayers. Listen, I was praying for many years for my oldest son to get married. And you know what? He finally did. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> I was actually did the wedding. So I'm doubly happy. And Baruch Hashem, he has a child. Baruch Hashem. Thank God. How much time, how much we prayed, uh, me and my wife prayed for him to get married. We went to every grave. We cried everywhere. We, we prayed uh, millions of prayers. Based with Baruch Hashem. So we see Hashem comes through eventually. Don't worry. Pray, pray, pray. And if you don't answer, uh, we say a line in the Tefillah. Kabel Hashem. Hope to God. Give your hopes in God. 
And if he doesn't answer you the first time, strengthen your heart and and hope the second time. So just keep on praying, just keep banging away. Keep banging away with the battering ram of prayer. Prayer is a battering ram. How do I know? Because the Midrash says that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was at Gezerah, Hashem made this, this terrible decree against Moshe. We just read in last week's parasha in Israel. Hukat, right? Uh, we read last week's parasha. Hashem says, you're not going. You hit the rock. You are not allowed in Israel. I'm making a special Gezerah. It's a decree against you. You're not allowed in Israel. Moshe prays so many prayers. 515 prayers. The Midrash says, the gates of heaven were shaking. The world was going to go back into Tohu Vavoh. And Hashem says, Moshe, stop praying. Stop praying. You just got to stop because people think I'm very harsh. I'm a very harsh God. I don't want people to think that. There's a decree against you. Just accept the decree and move on. Why? Because your prayer is having an effect on the world above. People don't realize the power of prayer is tremendous. Not just that, but a person who prays properly and really thinks, I'm transferring all my anguish, all my sorrows, all my needs to God, he's going to live a good life. going to live a life without worries. How many people have worries? They don't realize the way to solve the problem is not just, obviously prayer is a very big, so 50% of worries can be cured just by praying. First, really believes in God, God comes through. Pray is transferring one's burdens to God. You know, Hobbes Heim says this story, one of my favorite stories, maybe you've heard it before. If you did, please indulge me a little bit. So, uh, Hosheim says there was a guy hitchhiking in the old days. He has this heavy backpack on his, uh, you know, the good old days you could hitchhike. And uh, no Ubers in those days. And he's hitchhiking along. And he has his backpack and a guy stops. He says, hey, hop in. Where are you going? going? Yeah, okay, no problem. Hop in. I'll take you there. So the guy goes in the car and he still has his heavy backpack on his back. And the driver says, excuse me, sir. Why you, why you have your heavy backpack on your back? Take it off. Enjoy. And the guy says, listen, it's enough that you're carrying me. I don't need to carry my backpack as well. Thomas Heim says, this is a parable, right? Listen, God is carrying us. We, have, we don't really realize. We have to know every single day, God gives us back our soul. We say every morning, we say thank you. And God is carrying us through the day. Where does our strength come from? We thank God for giving us strength. He gives us, uh, he gives us the ability to stay awake, right? And then they have koach. He gives the, uh, the people who are weak and uh, tired strength. He's carrying us anyway. So give him all your burdens, Thomas Heinz says. Why do you keep your worries? Give God your burdens. He's carrying you anyway. So let's, uh, let's give God our burdens. That's the power of prayer. So that's what the Rabbi Yochanan adds into this list. Number three, prayer. Number four, Hashkamat Bet HaMidrash. Going to learn Torah early. It's like guys who are waiting for the class to start. Right? You're, going to, you're going to learn early. That's the way you do it. Get, get there, go with gusto. Be the first one there and ready to learn. Number five, a person who sends their kids to learn Torah. Very important. Educate the, the next generation. You are going to Alam Haba big time and you are getting rewarded this world. What reward will you get in this world? So the beautiful story. It's one of my favorite stories. Again, if you've heard it, please indulge me. It's a story of Rav Uri Zohar. Have you heard of Rav Uri Zohar? He's a very famous entertainer in Israel. He was a comedian, entertainer, singer in Israel. Everyone laughed. As soon as he walked on the stage, everyone laughed. But one day, people saw him on the stage, and he's wearing a big talik. He's wearing a talik katan with strings hanging out. And they think, you know what? He's wearing a kippah. And they think, it's part of his act. He's making a mockery of religious people. Ah, it's part of the act. And everyone's laughing. 
And then, you know what? They realize he's not acting. He's really a Baal Teshuvah. He became like one of the famous Baal Teshuvahs in Israel, Rabbi Uri Zohar. And he did it very slowly. He did it very slowly. He started keeping Shabbat. He did his drive. He went to the beach by bike. He said, the rabbi told him, you have to go to the beach. Just go by bike. Don't, don't drive. He said, that rabbi saved me. If the rabbi said, don't go to the beach on Shabbat, I would never become religious. The rabbi said, okay, go. Just go by bike and don't drive. Okay, so slowly, slowly became more religious. Eventually, he they persuaded to put his children in yeshiva. So he puts his children. He's very, very scared. He's scared because, you know, if you're not religious and you think of yeshiva, yeshiva makes you shiver. It makes everyone shiver and they get scared. And he puts his kid in yeshiva and says, I'll try it. I'll try yeshiva. I'll put my kids in yeshiva. Okay, so his kids are four or five years old. He comes home one day. He goes into the kitchen. And his little kid stands up. He says, am I dreaming? Why did he stand up? Well, it must be an accident. I'll try it again. He goes outside the kitchen. And he walks back in, and the kid stood up again. <laughs> so he did it again. Okay, went out again, and came out inside. And the kid stood up for him. He says, tell me, he says, why are you standing up? He said, Abba, ani noten lecha kavod. He says, Daddy, I'm giving you honor. So this is a beautiful story. So really, this is really, that's what Yeshiva Tusha should be all about. Yeshiva should be teaching kids to honor their parents. And if they do, they're going to be successful. That issue is going to be tremendously successful. Why? Because the parents are going to be so happy. The kid stands up for them. The kid gives them the kavod. So he said, I was sold. When my kid came back from yeshiva and told me, Abba, I'm giving you honor. I said, this is a better system than anything else. The kids are taught to give honor to the parents. So a tremendous system. Tremendous. Halavai, they'll all be like that. Okay. So... Uh, uh, okay, so Ashkabat Bet Midrash, you're talking about sending kids to school to Yeshiva for Talmud Torah. And number six, this is nine our list. Number six, Hadanit Haverolikafsahut. Judging one's friend favorably. You know, we always have uh, thoughts about people. You know, a, a very famous, uh, this always happens to you. You have a guest in your house, and the following week you're looking for something and you can't find it. And you think in the back of your head, you know, who could have taken this? Maybe it was that guest. Maybe the guy I had over, you know, I did him a favor and he came and he returned this favor. You don't say anything. You think in your thoughts, it must have been this guy. There's a famous story. I, 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 told, I told this story in Yom Kippur maybe, I don't know, 30 years ago. Um, it's meant to be a true story. I don't know how true it is. But a guy goes... And, you know, how many, how many times do you see the rabbi in certain circles? You hardly see the rabbi, right? You go for your bar mitzvah, and then the guy is getting married. He says, who should do the wedding? You know, the rabbi did my bar mitzvah, I should do the wedding. So he goes to the rabbi, and the rabbi says, you know, it's your wedding. I want you to um, um, bring your tefillin. Did you wear your, you your tefillin since then? He said, no, I didn't wear my tefillin. So he said, bring your tefillin. Wear your tefillin on your wedding day. Certain prayers to say. And the rabbi gives him a beautiful kiddush cup. He gives him a beautiful kiddush cup. And the guy is so happy. You know, the rabbi is going to do his wedding. He wants to fill in for once. And he got a beautiful kiddush cup. And he goes home. He forgot about it. He forgot about everything. So after the wedding, and then slowly, you know, two years later after the wedding, his wife said, you know, why don't we make kiddush on Friday night? And I said, yeah, maybe we should do it. You know, it's a good idea. 
I have a beautiful Kiddush cup the rabbi gave me. He's looking all over for the Kiddush cup. He says, where the heck could be the Kiddush cup? I was in the old rabbi's office. You think he didn't give it to me at the end? Maybe he still has it. Oy, 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 oy. So he has these thoughts in his head. The rabbi he gave it to me, but he took it back. He gave it to me, but he didn't really give it to me. He took it back from me. So he goes to the rabbi after another year of thinking these thoughts. And he said, Rabbi, by the way, you remember that Kiddush cup you gave me? And the rabbi said, yeah. He says, Rabbi, do you know what happened to that Kiddush cup? And the rabbi said, no, but I saw you put it inside your tefillin bag. <laughs> so in other words, this guy never wears tefillin since his wedding. And he suspected the rabbi of keeping the Kiddush cup. So we all do this. We're all guilty of suspecting. Suspicion is a terrible thing. And we have a mitzvah and obligation. Rabbi Yochanan Zakeh says, Rabbi Yochanan says, not Rabbi Yochanan Zakeh, Rabbi Yochanan, he says that if you can take your thoughts and suspicion, give the person the benefit of the doubt, you will eat the fruits in this world, and you have the main mitzvah. It's such a big mitzvah we don't think about because we do this all the time. We suspect people. We have to try and give them the benefit of the doubt. There's a beautiful book. It's a tremendously good book. I advocate everyone should buy this book or read the book, get it from the library. It's called The Other Side of the Story. It's such a beautiful book. It goes through this mitzvah of giving other people the benefit of the doubt. And she goes through, the author goes through all the cases where, you know, suspicion and it's totally false. I'll give you a story. So one of the stories in the book really hurt me with this story. And that is, you know, one girl, she's pretty well off. She goes to school. She has this beautiful brand new overcoat. <coughs> And she loses it in school. She loses it. She comes home. Mother says, where's your beautiful overcoat? I said, Mom, I lost it. Well, go back tomorrow. Look for it. She looks high and low. She can't find it. She can't find this beautiful overcoat. Has a fur trim and everything. And three months later, she sees another girl in the class wearing the same overcoat. And she says, gosh, she must have taken my overcoat. It's the same overcoat. I recognize that overcoat because it had a spot in a certain place. And she goes, she go back to her mother. She goes to Ma. She says, Ma, I found my overcoat. This girl in my class is wearing it. She must have stolen it from me. She must have stolen it from the class. Oh, gosh. What a thing to say. What a thing to do. But you know what? The mother, she said, you know what? I'm going to talk to her mother. I'm not going to accuse the girl. I'm going to talk to the girl's mother. Maybe she took it by accident or whatever it is. So this girl's mother went to the other girl's mother. Did you know that my daughter had this beautiful overcoat? <coughs> and somehow your daughter is wearing this overcoat. Can you tell me what happened? Did she take it? What happened to it? Did she find it? And the mother turned white. He says, you know, I'm very embarrassed. Well, I'm not embarrassed. The reason why you think I'm embarrassed I'm embarrassed because we're very poor. We are so poor that people give us handouts of clothing. And the dry cleaner in town has a policy. If you don't collect your dry cleaning within three months, he gives it to the needy, gives that clothing, the clothing to the needy. And the dry cleaner gave us that coat. You must have given that coat to the dry cleaner and forgotten about it. And the mother says, that's right. Now I remember, I gave that coat to the dry cleaner and that's what happened. The dry cleaner gave it to this poor woman to give to her daughter. So that's the other side of the story. Before you judge others, think about what could be going on in their lives. 
what could be going on in their minds? How could this have happened without giving, you know, if they're, if they're good people, generally good people, reliable people, give them the benefit of the doubt. Always give someone the benefit of the doubt. Okay. So uh, that's a very important rule. So six things he says. Rabbi Yochanan says, number one, if you want the pleasures of this world, you want to get benefit in this world from your mitzvah. And you want the next world as well. You want both. You want immortality. You want the benefits of this next world, mitzvah in the next world. You want to get benefits in this world. These are the six things you need to do. Number one. Right? Number one, have guests who don't have a place to go. Singles who don't, who don't like staying alone. Visit the sick if you can. Number three, pray properly. Number four, go to the Beit Midrash like we're doing now. Just go study Torah. Number five, raise your children, the next generation, to study Torah. Number six, give your friend the benefit of the doubt. Judge your people favorably. Judge people around you favorably. So this is what he adds. He adds uh, to Amish, he adds beautiful things. Um, and what he's adding is really parts of what we said already, what the mission already said. So giving acts of kindness is, includes making the bride and groom happy. That includes that, going to the wedding, making them happy. That's included. Visiting the sick is part of, Ramal says, of acts of kindness. So what he adds is really part. Learning Torah, he says, raise your children to learn Torah, be the first to the Midrash. It's all parts of acts of learning Torah. So he's not really adding anything that wasn't there, just adding, he's adding to what he said previously existed. Okay, so beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. These are the things we have to focus on in our lives. That's what the mission is telling us. These are bad accents. These are things of value that we have to focus on. And the Rabbam says it is commentary on the mission. As we said before, the, the, the beauty of, the, of learning Torah is it brings to action. If you learn Torah, you're motivated to do because Torah is telling us to do. So five times the order of love, loving people. Kimut Hasidim is based on the after the Recha Kamocha. So number one, it says, this is the order of love in the Torah. Number one, what, love of a son. Love of a child. God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one you love. Right? Who's he talking about? It's my Yisak. Okay? So take your son, the one you love. Love my child. Number two is, it says, Yisak loved his wife, Rivka. It's interesting. The second time, the order of love in the Torah is, Yisak loved his wife. So love of a spouse. We have to love other people. That's, that's the key to Chesed, is this Pasuk, this verse. Love your friend as yourself. It's the it's the whole of uh, acts of kindness is based on that verse. And then Havad Hashem, loving Hashem. And then loving the convert, loving people who came into our religion voluntarily. These are things that we should do. And these are the people that we have to give the benefit of the doubt and help and do acts of kindness. And I will continue next week, Bezrat Hashem, with this topic of giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Such a hard thing to do. And Bezrat Hashem will learn about it. And I'll give some more stories from that book. It's such a beautiful book. The other side of the story. Okay, everyone, take care. Shabbat Shalom, Yerushalayim, Yerakodesh. Have a happy Shabbat, a purposeful Shabbat, and Be'ezrat Hashem will have peace and security in Israel and around the world. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.